Hello and welcome to Touching the Sunrise podcast. I'm Sister Catherine Herms, author of Surviving Depression, A Catholic Approach, and Reclaim Regret, How God Heals Life's Disappointments, and a spiritual guide in the Heartwork Program, which specializes in helping people walk the road of spiritual growth and inner healing. For the past 10 years, I have been walking alongside wonderful women and men who who want a more heart-centered and passionate spiritual life, but like support along the way. Through online programs, a Facebook group, a heartwork community on Patreon, and one-on-one spiritual guidance, I walk with people on a contemplative and healing path that has been trodden for thousands of years. Basically, I'm here to help you surrender to the power of the Holy Spirit, who has come to make your being the throne of the Holy Trinity, so that your life, your prayer, your relationships, your dreams, and your goals will most deeply satisfy the desires of your heart. You can find out more about me and what God has led me to do in the world by visiting my website, touchingthesunrise.com So let's start as we always do reconnecting remembering refreshing Take a deep breath Breathe directly into your heart even deeper than your heart Breathe deeply into that organ that divine grace transforms with the presence, the light, and the life of the Divine Trinity. With Teresa of Avila, we enter into our inner world as if we are entering a mansion or a castle. In the centermost room of the castle is silence, a pulsing dynamic call of love that can only come from the one who is love himself. We enter the castle through the doors from the outside, and make our way gradually toward that inner sanctuary where God is and from where He is filling our entire being with His light. On the journey through the rooms as we approach the center, we need to face our resistance, our weakness, our desires, our sin, our passions. Every time we see new things about our humanness, we become more open, more malleable, more godlike. So let your heart call out to your God. Let your thoughts melt and surrender now to the work of the Spirit. Today we're going to be exploring the parable of the prodigal son. Of course, in the parable, we have two brothers. We have the younger son who demanded his part of the father's inheritance took off for a land far away. And then we see him returning home. Uh, from a long distance away, the father sees him. He's been, been looking for him, watching for him to return for ever since he left. And now he sees his son coming to him dressed as a beggar. And instead of anger, there's this tremendous compassion that swells up inside of his heart for this 
son of his, who was returning home. So the father races out to meet him. He almost sweeps him up in his arms. He hugs him and kisses him repeatedly and shows him the tenderest of love and reinstates him as a son in the family. A little later in the story, we have the introduction of the elder son during the, the festival, the party that was being thrown for the return of the younger son. The elder son returns and says, hey, what's going on here? And one of the servants says, your father has killed the fatted calf and is throwing a party now for your, your brother who's come home. Of course, we all know the elder son is very angry, and the father goes out to meet him, and he says, Listen here, I've been working how many years as a slave for you? I've done everything that you've asked me to do, just like a dutiful son. I've never even once disobeyed you. But you've never thrown a party for me because I've been so faithful. Never once have you even given me a, a kid goat that I could feast on and celebrate my friends. But look, this son of yours who's been wasting his time and your wealth on reckless living comes home and you're throwing a great feast to celebrate for him? And the father says, my son, my son, my you are right. You are always with me. You are always here by my side. And everything I have now is really yours to enjoy. But it's only right to celebrate like this and to be overjoyed because this brother of yours was once dead and lost. But now he's alive and he's back with us again. He was lost and now he's found and we have to celebrate that. So there are these three characters that dominate the parable of the prodigal son, which is sometimes called the parable of the loving father. And we, you and I, at different points of our life, we're all three. Perhaps in our younger years and definitely in our unrepentant phases of life, we can identify with the younger son, that humiliated sorrow, the long journey home, the begging for mercy and forgiveness, as well as the experience of, of absolute love from another and from our Heavenly Father, this unconditional compassion and forgiveness. But there are other times when we find ourselves much to our own sorrow, in the shoes of the elder son, to me, to, to be this in this angry, narrow-minded, self-serving son's shadow, even if only in the obsessing thoughts that pester me like flies, is worse. John Ortberg states so accurately, one of the hardest things in the world is to stop being the prodigal son without turning into the elder brother. There is a story of Elder Thaddeus, which is recounted in the introduction of his book, Our Thoughts Determine Our Lives. And this story, ever since I first read it, has always intrigued me. 
Elder Thaddeus was one of the most renowned spiritual guides of Serbia in the 20th century. At 15 years of age, he entered the monastery and lived in obedience to the saintly Elder Ambrose. So this young boy actually was given five years to live, so he wasn't physically well, and at 15 then he decided to enter the monastery. So here he is, he's physically weak, and he often fell asleep while doing the duties that he had been given. So first, he was given the charge of guarding the vineyards. He fell asleep, and robbers came and stole the grapes. He writes that the steward came and saw what had happened, yet he did not say a word to me. He came the following day and said, Now you will guard the sheep and the goats and the fields close to the Marava River. This was an obedience given to him by Elder Ambrose. So Thaddeus went off to become a shepherd. And again, he fell asleep while he was guarding the sheep. So the sheep escape and begin to eat the crops of the neighbor who went straight to the abbot to complain. And the abbot told the steward to pay the farmer to cover his loss, and that was the end of it. Thaddeus was sent to take care of the cows on the other side of the field, and a similar event occurred. After the farmer complained to the abbot, the steward told Thaddeus that the abbot had now assigned him to work in the refectory and in the church. Thaddeus writes of this time in his life, These were only a few of my trials, which Elder Ambrose covered with his immeasurable love. You know, why didn't Elder Ambrose get upset through all this? Certainly, he could have said, you are wasting money. You are ruining our reputation with the neighbors. You are being lazy. But he didn't. Very quietly, he simply changed the young boy's assignment. It is this story more than any other chapter of the book that haunts me. He covered the boy's uh, mistakes, uh, the boy's... Um, indiscretions, in a sense, with his work, with an immeasurable love. And it haunts me because I don't yet love like Elder Ambrose. So let's examine this story more closely. What is it that makes us so strongly react to things that happen around us? Why do we get upset when we have to pick up after mistakes of ourselves or others? Why are we resentful that others get more than us? In one word, ego. When we are not satisfied with the way things are in the present moment and we are striving to be somewhere else or someone else, we get angry when things get in the way. Stress, it has been said, is a result of being here and wanting to be somewhere else. So let's imagine that Elder Ambrose felt inferior and needed to prove either to himself or others that he was worthy or successful as the elder of that very famous monastery. Or what if he was upset or felt guilty about something he had done and was using his influence or position to convince himself that he was a good monk, perhaps the best monk there? 
Do you get where this is leading? If these had been the hidden desires and needs in Ambrose's heart, then this 15-year-old boy's mistakes would have been a threat to Ambrose creating his own reality of success and perfection. Sometimes we live our lives as if we were Olympians before imaginary packed stadiums of watching fans and expert judges evaluating our every move to score our performance, that we might achieve in our imaginations what we so desperately think we need to bring about in order to be happy or holy. Ambrose would have none of that. He was living solely in the fullness of the present moment, right here, right now, as it was, and following the unfolding of grace and mystery in each person's life for whom he was responsible in that monastery. Ambrose had nothing to defend. He was hoping to achieve nothing except to midwife the present miracle of glory as it manifested itself to him. So here are two tips for entering into this peaceful love that was the undercurrent of Ambrose's life and authority. One is, stick with the facts. When something happens, remove yourself and your own goals, agendas, and plans from the picture. Simply ask, what happened? What did someone do? Who are they as a child of God? And what do they most deeply desire? How is God inviting me to provide for them in the extent possible to me at this time? And second, allow yourself to be touched by God. The loving father deeply cared for each of his sons. Both had left home, one physically, and the other had left in spirit, for he no longer loved, trusted, or desired to be with his father. The father poured out his tender presence on both of them, trying to open up the closed door of a humiliated heart in one and a resentful, bitter heart in the other. Jean Vanier, in his book, From Brokenness to Community, wrote, I don't believe that we can truly enter our own inner pain and wounds and open our hearts to others unless we have had an experience of God, unless he says we have been touched by God. We have to be touched by the Father in order to experience that, just like the prodigal son, no matter how wounded we may be, we are loved by the Father. And we're not just loved, we are called to heal and to liberate this healing power in us does not come from our own capacities and our own riches, but this healing power comes out of our poverty. We are called to discover that God is the one who can bring peace and compassion and love to others through our wounds. Elder Thaddeus taught his disciples that the main thing in the spiritual life is to keep your heart at peace. 
and we must remove earthly plans and desires from the heart. Only then, together with the Lord, can we sincerely love our neighbor. Let us give the Lord the sovereignty of our minds and hearts, so that asking nothing and refusing nothing on our own terms, we may love others on God's terms. God has amazing ways of knocking on people's hearts, awakening desires, arousing questions, provoking an unexpected spiritual fire. Remember, if you'd like some extra support and are ready to embark on a sustained spiritual journey, you can connect with me in a number of ways by going to my website, touchingthesunrise.com. Until the next time, take care of yourself. And remember that you are not alone. You are loved no matter what. And when you search within yourself, you will not only find yourself, but the throne of the Divine Trinity. You have a calling, a mission, and every gift, every grace, every moment, even every fall, mistake, and sin is a step toward your completely and wholly being taken up into the mystery of God's love for you and for all creation. Remember always that you have a treasure of inexpressible glory that is hidden, yes, in an earthen vessel, a vessel that's small and fragile. But this overflowing glory, may it fill you and fill all of yours with its fragrance. God be with you.